హలో అండ్ వెల్కమ్ టు ది గణతంత్ర పాడ్కాస్ట్ ఐఎమ్ సారియో నటరాజన్ అండ్ ఐఎమ్ అలోక్ ప్రసన్న కుమార్ అండ్ ఇన్ దిస్ వీక్స్ ఎపిసోడ్ వీఆర్ జాయిన్ బై డాక్టర్ మనీషా ప్రియం uh who with whom i have i can say a special relationship she was the first person in 2013 this was even before up was the political force that we know it as today who predicted its rise and its victory and its dominance in in the context of delhi politics based on her work in sangam bihar welcome to the show manisha thank you very much and i'm so glad you remember <laughs> <laughs> well it's hard to forget i would say um, but i'm going to read a more banal introduction before we jump into the topic of today's discussion which is the politics of delhi itself we're recording about a week after the delhi election results yes. in delhi uh, but very quickly about dr manisha Uh, Dr Manisha Priyam is an academic and researcher and she works on issues of development and politics in India. She has a doctorate from the London School of Economics and Political Science in International Development where she examines the politics of education policy reforms in a comparative perspective. She is currently an associate professor at the Department of Educational Policy at NUEPA which is the National University of Educational Planning and Administration, India's leading policy advisory body for the Ministry of Human Resources Development. Uh, she has over two decades of experience of working with donors, policy makers, administrators and stakeholders in policy formulation, implementation and evaluations. Among her publications are The Contested Policies of Education Reforms in India, Aligning Opportunities with Interests and From Clients to Citizens, Learning from Brazil Provides an Opportunity to, provides an opportunity to Delhi. Um, in an in an edition by anjairam so welcome to the podcast dr manisha thank you sarayu and thank you hello <laughs> so let's let's start off a little bit i think uh, by giving a little bit of context uh, we've seen the amadmi party win uh, two big election victories and they surprised everyone in 2013 as well when they managed to get almost a, a 30 seats uh, when nobody expected them to do that well but except one person <laughs> and that was dr manisha so perhaps uh maybe it would be useful f- for our listeners to understand what about a research in sangam vihar uh sort of told you that this was coming uh you know the one thing that we have to remember hmm. uh i'm per se i have really n- very little to uh, to do with political parties but hmm. i have everything to do uh with our people our land our country our issues mm-hmm. and i do think that as an indian the first and foremost thing that touches me is the fact that our country is indeed a very poor country and mm. remember gandhi told us that you need mm. to wear poverty in your country so as an academic it's always been my lens to see where is it that the issues of the people are and mm. i think it is that wandering mm. that led me when i was still working uh, advising mrs sheila dikshit's government mm. and she wanted to do what was called social sector reform she mm. was spending about 50% of the gross domestic uh, product of a state or the budget of a state on social sector prog- programs on the ground however when i went i realized that delhi had little idea of how many poor people there were in the state mm. the state didn't even know where exactly these poor people stayed mm-hmm. so uh, you know with the help of the state machinery with the help of state information we figured out that there were colonies that that were not even unauthorized or irregular the state simply didn't know that these colonies existed right. and sangam vihar was a very large unauthorized area as uh, surprisingly 
on state government documents or government documents it's the patch that lies between two of the most important historical sites of the city the qutub minar and the tughlaqabad fort hmm. and government documents said this is an archaeological site that needs to be conserved <laughs> there are another set of government documents that said oh these are the asola forest reserves you yeah. need to conserve them yeah. however when you go there you realize that back then we estimated about 2 and a half lakh people today those estimates stand okay. at cl- anything upwards of 5 lakhs okay of course there are many myths now mm-hmm. but i would say upwards of 5 lakhs mm-hmm. is what the population of that place is it's mostly the underclass mm-hmm. and it's there that i realized that there were embedded issues mm-hmm. people were troubled and this mm-hmm. was much ahead mm-hmm. of anything that you hear today about the ca and kagaz and pehchan patra even then mm-hmm. you could find that old muslim uh tailor for example worrying for papers why because he wanted to make use of the rashtriya swasth bima yojana mm. ahead of 70 years of age needs a cataract uh, operation done and doesn't have the papers mm. so you realized that getting the papers right mm-hmm. and getting the state to recognize that look i'm a very poor citizen of this state i think these were the two critical issues mm. and a large part of delhi even at that time was burning with their issues mm. and the government was simply unable to reach out to them mm. and i think that's the fault line where okay. the aam aadmi party emerged and when the anna movement came in i think it put in hope with people right. that perhaps a corruption free government for them made meant mm. a state that can reach out to its poor citizens mm. a direct beneficiary yeah. link yeah. so i think that was the political fracture moment mm. that fracture when poor people can just suddenly come out and say oh here we are please recognize us yeah. and reach us unmediated yeah. yeah in fact you know i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your work in sangam vihar and um some of sort of the conversations you had about both the aspect of or the aspiration to reach out to the state and be recognized by it in that sense uh, but also the ways in which this kind of aspiration could be politically articulated so you know uh, sarayu what i realized was that the maximum that people were willing to tell me was that this is an area that is unauthorized and the political demand of the people here is that this unauthorized colony should become authorized right so till as long as i stayed in my comfort zone i only understood them within the binaries of authorized and unauthorized mm-hmm. and that's where the researcher takes over mm-hmm. the moment i started doing the field work i realized it simply wasn't about authorized and unauthorized mm-hmm. i realized there is a way in which we've put hierarchy on our own geography cheek by jowl some of the richest areas in south delhi live with some of the poorest areas some of the most overserved areas in terms of public services re- live cheek by jowl mm. but they are invisible to the state mm. and people who are rich affluent in positions of power do not even recognize them now what was the issues here it wasn't simply that they were unauthorized the problem was that lakhs of people and till date uh though the problems have reduced somewhat um had no access to drinking water mm. so they had a tanker supply once in 20 days maybe once in a month to be bought the we i figured out through interviews that average expenditure simply on water to live by mm. could be anything between uh 5 to 6000 rupees for a four or five uh, person uh, household mm. now that is a lot now women would tell me that while the men go out to work mm. 
uh, we have to stay back at home because we don't know when the tanker fellows are going to come. Yeah. So while I realized that the driver who works in affluent colonies like the ones that I live in, he comes and works for us. I think there is an entire social setup of relationships mm. back home who's simply filling water in cans yeah. for one person of the house to be able to get out and work for yeah. us. And But I think the worst part was that while there were no pipelines to bring water inside, there were also no pipelines to take human excreta or waste out, yes. Yes. which meant, therefore, that women often said, oh, women of dignity do not use toilets very often. Mm. It took me a while to decode that statement till I realized that the woman was saying that, look, you can't use the toilet very often mm. and the priority has to be for the men who have to leave for work early in the morning. Mm. So I realized that it's not about authorized, unauthorized. Mm. If human lives are lived with such indignity and such denials, they can barely be recognized. This mm. is bare life. This mm. is bare life that we're talking about. That kind of insight, I think, is is profound in terms of um, in terms of characterizing the urban underclass in that mm. sense, and it speaks to some of my own fieldwork experiences in Bangalore, uh, but I think a lot of urban life across the country. Uh, but Pulling from that into the realm of politics and, you know, the moment Alok and I started discussing the idea of doing a polit podcast on Delhi politics, I was like, we have to talk to Dr. Manisha. Like it was the <laughs> first instinctive reaction. And I think Alok yeah. remembers it as well, yeah. which is why he's laughing so loudly now. Uh, but I think, you know, we'd love you to take us through the process of how this experience and this understanding translated into an understanding of the politics of Delhi and what that meant from the electoral perspective and more broadly for the for the kind of debate that would that would resonate in Delhi. So, you know, Delhi politics up until 2012-13 was characterized as a politics that would be led by the Gujars and Jats. Okay. And the underclass were also dealt with in terms of communities. There was a Purvanchali Neta. Mm -hmm. Now, Purvanchal has no uh, existence in terms of geography or an administrative category. But people who migrate from all of Bihar, yeah. whether it's bordering Bengal or it's bordering Nepal, yeah. everybody becomes a Purvanchali in Delhi, and especially if you live in the underclass areas. Mm. I live in a posh colony. I am not a Purvanchali. I am a normal <laughs> citizen of Delhi. Yeah. So if you're an underclass and if you migrate from anywhere in Bihar, mm. anywhere, in, anywhere in Eastern UP, Eastern not in Western UP, yeah. huh. then you're a Purvanchali. Yeah. So see how categories are being redefined here. Mm. Now, so basically... People were dealt with in terms of contractors of votes. This mm. was vote bank politics. Mm. Oh, the Purvanchali leader will manage the underclass from mm. this area. Yeah. Now, this really meant that the real issues of the people were under a lid, under a cover. If the neta who's mm. supposed to represent this identity yeah. is dealt with by a bigger political party, then the equations are all set. The, so the, the, the politics really was a balanced equation. Now, Sangam Vihar gave me a profound understanding of this once again. Mm. I found that while Delhi as a city was decrying the Sikh riots, etc., and uh, HKL Bhagat, Sajjan Kumar were all people who were named in the riots. Mm. Now, Sajjan Kumar was a very active political leader in Sangam, in Sangam Vihar. Okay. And his meetings would be held in Jat Taramshala. Mm. I was not allowed to go in after much talking about when I went inside, I realized, uh, you know, these leaders were treated like kings there. Mm. You know, the king of Najafgarh, when his sister came in, she was a counselor from there. Mm. Uh, this was our very own Virinder Sehwag. Oh. So, yes, yeah, so yeah. you realize that the underclass could have their politics, but mm. only within their boundaries. 
and within whatever their political leaders were talking about hmm. and they would be given hope that look hmm. once we become authorized hmm. then we will resolve these problems hmm. now what the app did was something dramatic hmm. it said fine let the politics of these big leaders remain where it is and it reached out directly to people in the periphery hmm. and it reached out directly to them it took the water mafia tanker mafia on directly right so it meant therefore that at least even mm. if the mafia's back was not broken the delhi jal board which mm. is the public utility mm. supplying water started reaching sangam vihar yeah. so after the elections i remember uh, 2015 when i went back to sangam vihar it felt like there is a water democracy uh. there were tankers coming up and down yeah. dramatically different side uh. so political change elections make a difference that's mm. something that i could see mm. now uh, water etc were the first frontline issues i think what's even more dramatic and that's something that i hadn't seen mm. and which is why as a researcher i understand mm. that there's nothing called a great researcher you've got to be on the field you've mm. got to listen to the voices of the people and line yourself this time around when i went I'm amazed to see what has been done with the schools. Okay. I hadn't even noticed the schools. Mm. My understanding of Sangam Vihar when I met Sarayu at mm. our uh, King's College London mm. uh, uh, you know seminar or mm. the seminar we had out of the European Social Research Council grant yeah. I was still talking of the water issues. Mm. It was the women who had come out to me at the doorstep and mm. uh, I had spoken about the politics mm. and the women who had said didi झाड़ू को भी देखिएगा हिंटिंग देर बाय दैट वी माइट बी कंसिडरिंग दिस बट दे हैड सेट दिस इन हर्ष टोन राइट ना दिस टाइम अराउंड द वुमेन वर एट द फ्रंट बट इवन मोर एट द फोर फ्रंट फॉर दोज हुआ नॉट इवन वोटिंग द चिल्ड्रेन ओके एंड इन संगम विहार दर इज अ बस्ती ऑफ वाल्मीकिज शेड्यूल कास्ट एज यू नो एंड द अंडर क्लास हुज टिपिकली एसोसिएटेड विद पर्टिकुलर एसोसिए पर्टिकुलर टाइप ऑफ वर्क दैट वी कंसिडर द लोएस्ट ऑफ द मीनियल जॉब्स ना दे हैव दर लिटिल बस्ती इवन विद इन संगम विहार दे नॉट अलाउड टू बी ऑन द मेन स्ट्रीट दे हाइड एंड स्टे सब सेग्रीगेटेड देर where the men are mainly cleaners or menial uh, em- mm. e- e- employees and women go out and work in households cleaning etc mm. an eighth grade young boy mm. i asked him what do you study in schools he said he likes solving linear equations in single variable oh, wow. i was stunned <laughs> uh. and orally he could do a single equation that i shot back at him uh. i met another girl in grade 11 who told me look when i was young mm. the school didn't work well so i don't understand maths mm. and i fear doing maths mm. but i like doing studying hindi in the mm. literature mm. when i asked her what do you like studying in hindi mm. now she told me prem chand wow. so that's that's really mm. i think the knowledge revolution okay where it's those who you've considered beyond the pale of knowledge mm. and those who you have thought mm. will always use only their hands to yeah. be able to live that's mm. where the intellectual engagement is happening yeah. these are the last sites of renaissance mm. so this is about the fa- girls even said that if homework uh, uh, if we don't uh, uh, you know if we are absent in class mm. our homeworks come on our whatsapp groups oh wow okay yes wow. <laughs> now there was young, one young boy who mm. came in and told me that now we really study in our school mm. earlier when we went we had we were asked to clean our schools okay now the school has an aunty who mm-hmm. comes and cleans the school <laughs> and we don't have to clean the school we actually study in the school mm-hmm. so it was quite clear to me mm. that there was 
just like it should be mm-hmm. a rational voter deliberation happening mm-hmm. on who is it who's delivering on issues of public interest right. who is it who's likely to work to turn our citizenship rights into an unmediated relationship between the between. citizen and the state mm-hmm. so if you put all of this mosaic mm-hmm. on the board mm-hmm. and you stayed out of the research arena as a neutral researcher the results were very clear and evident mm-hmm. that the aam aadmi party had been able to break the mold of patronage politics mm-hmm. break the mold of identity based vote banking mm-hmm. but it had a consolidated vote base amongst what would be called the bottom of the pyramid mm-hmm. and this bottom of the pyramid is actually a large mass of delhi in fact the, the data does show i think there was a piece just last week uh, showing that the amadmi party did actually very well in an in unauthorized colonies or and women because yeah. i think csds put out this data yeah. in every segment of society more women voted for the amadmi party than men across the board whether you take it economically caste wise or whatever it is in every segment of society women seem to do that but 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 also one point that i think um, uh, it's a government which reached out to people because i think the mohalla clinic uh, is one of those things which as an idea you're like okay what's the big deal but to me and from what you've just said it seems to me it was it put the government squarely in the middle of people's lives yeah. at, at it it was a visible demonstration mm-hmm. that your government is here now yeah. for you for areas again authorized or not authorized i don't think it was it really mattered where the mohalla clinic went i don't know if 100 or 200 or how many were it is but for people who had i, I think for, for whom the government was some far away thing i think this managed to put some part of the government right in the middle yeah and you made a, sorry to, just to you made a very interesting point in that the aap in the way it imagined itself in the 2015 elections and has continued to do so in some way is that it breaks both the mold of patronage politics and vote bank politics and the two are related to each other in some ways though they're slightly different from each other and i think that is also you know very interesting to your point in the in the way that you know to interpret both the electoral outcomes of today uh, but also think about the ways in which politics can be shaped in the future uh, i think uh, we have to continue to believe in the capacity of the poor to be able to deliberate mm. and i think voter deliberations are extremely important mm-hmm. the moment conditions can be established where poor people can deliberate without fear mm. i think that if once that condition is established that's the condition i think of free and fair voting hmm. something precedes free and fair voting yeah the procedural bit of doing it on the booth yeah i think prior to that the arenas of public deliberation that spring up hmm. i mean i'm uh, delighted sarayu to honestly tell you that india is a republic where the poor are now so empowered and imbued with dignity precisely because just ahead of an election they know that they can deliberate on their own terms and this does empower them yeah. it could be this way or that i could give you a counter example from bangalore mm. where women have said that the fact that they went to the modi angdis mm. and they said that we went to buy medicines from the same shop mm. where retired army people and bank uh, people were okay. coming uh-huh. they said we felt as if there is no boundary between the underclass and us right. now this is a bangalore story mm. you're aware Yeah. that i love to talk to especially the women in the underclass mm-hmm. which i think are really leading the pack mm-hmm. and women are non partisan mm-hmm. they like to judge things they're not judgmental that this is the party that 
you know, I need to not like or hmm. etc. Hmm. They like to judge it. What are the parameters on which they judge it? Hmm. I think the parameters on which they judge it, I think corruption is very high in hmm. women's understanding of who is or what is, who's a good politician or what is a good political party. The second is their understanding. Ultimately, the lack of delivery of publics, who does it hit the most? It is. It hits yes. the women yeah. the most. So they understand what is corruption hmm. when they see a water tanker being sold off to private parties. Hmm. They understand it and nobody else needs to come and tell them anything. Hmm. Now, women also understand that when is it that the state is honestly trying to protect the citizen hmm. Against rent seeking by local police. I think that's very important mm. because women seldom feel that the police comes to protect them mm. when they are assaulted if they, uh, you know, ask for uh, basic services. So I think corruption is uh, very high on their agenda. Delivery of basic services very high on their agenda. But what was dramatic about this time was that the women saw this political party genuinely make an effort to teach their children mm. such that there is a capacity to aspire in yeah. Arjun Appadurai's words, you know. Yeah. The, our children have a future. Mm. That was the message coming around. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that was the message. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very interesting thing. But but one of the things that sort of occurs to me, at least from a distance, is that somehow it just doesn't translate. And because, and we made a very valid point that women and especially the poor voters judge on merits. They're not so struck to particular ideological constructs. They judge on merits, this works or this doesn't work. I just wonder, how is it that when it comes to MCD elections, um, the Amami party fared very poorly. And when it comes to the Lok Sabha elections, the Amami party fared very poorly. But at state level elections, they are, they were able to get this particular result. What, what, what about Delhi does that explain? Because for us, one of the things that we are also trying to understand is that people choose differently on different levels of government. So how does the Amadmi party say, for example, succeed at the state level, but somehow miss at the other two levels? So uh, the fact that people choose differently at different levels mm. just confirms one hypothesis that I've yeah. uh, put out. Mm. You're continuously asking me about the political party yeah. and I'm continuously answering your <laughs> questions in terms of how people perceive That's it. it. Yeah. So people perceived all three levels as different yes. and imbued mm. with different uh, mm. issues. Mm. I think around the 2019 elections, mm. what really trumped electoral choices mm. was the issue of nationalism. Rashtra ke liye, desh ke liye kia. So it means therefore the pure, poor people wanted to send a message back saying that we may be poor, mm. but when it comes for us to tell you what are the issues that are key before our country? Hmm. It could be a single poising of issues, hmm. but we would make our choices in terms of what is a national issue. Yeah. And I think once again, the Bangalore women told me hmm. that why do you keep asking us whether we voted development in the national elections? Hmm. Do you think the vote is an instrument for us? Nimma Hakko. Hmm. So hmm. they said they voted for the national rights. Hmm. Now, clearly in the 2014 national elections in Sangam Vyar, hmm. people had told me that we voted Modi ji, as I said, mm. we voted Modi ji because we want to test him. Mm. And that was the first time they were bringing him sure. in. And the issues they thought were very important then, one was price rise and inflation and mm. second was jobs. Mm. But this time around in 2019, they said nationalism. Mm. Now, you go back to them and ask them what happened in the MCD elections. Mm. There is a stunning silence. Okay. It seems to me that there was perhaps some anti-incumbency are about the Ahmadmi Party in okay. the MCD elections. Mm -hmm. 
but the aam aadmi party no party is ever going to tell us what they did yes. but i do feel that they rectified course corrected did whatever and focused in terms of what they needed to deliver now the result of that was that mm. at the time of the assembly elections for delhi this time mm-hmm. there was an anti incumbency against the sitting mcd councillors mm. ah. so i would find even bjp voters who voted bjp mm-hmm. in the may uh national elections hmm. telling me that that was modi ji's elections the hmm. councillors here are really corrupt okay and uh, you know no point and lots of them would come and tell me that hmm. look it's basically the wrong doings of the mcd hmm. and the fact that the mcd councillors haven't worked hmm. that's what is uh, not going in favor of the bjp right. so uh, at the time of the mc mcd elections i think there may have been my guess hmm. because people have not told me hmm. perhaps not such a great enthusiasm for the aam aadmi party hmm. which it has been able to work hmm. and at this time people clearly distinguished hmm. between the mcd's lack of performance or okay. corrupt, corrupt performance or hmm. performance that they uh, were not citizen centric hmm. and on the other side there were lots of people who were telling me hmm. that it wasn't just that the aam aadmi party reduced the electricity bills hmm. many women who i met said Oh my bills were inflated I went to the Aam Aadmi Party legislator mm. and he said I will take you to the Bijli board office mm. and you know he sent a couple of his people with me to the Bijli board office so mm. what does this tell us assisting the citizen mm. in dealing with state <laughs> or government employees of the local bureaucracy street level bureaucracy mm. so a government that is people friendly mm. always helps people or citizens who are disadvantaged or who have weaker capacity to interact with the state with dealing with the discretionary and rack renting powers of the street level bureaucracy and i think that image of the non performing councillor versus a performing legislator was something that people were able to make a choice and it's that intermediation that's critical but you know one of the things that i would love to hear from you about and given that your field work in bangalore is some of these experiences are similar in that there is a need for intermediating with the state there is a concern around non performing local uh, local elected leadership whether it's at the councillor level or the at the mla level but a party like an aap which has not really had much success in a state in in a in a context like uh, karnataka and definitely not even in bangalore um what what could be the reason for that uh, is it that delhi somehow because of the coexistence of three levels of government here uh, presents sort of a different context within which the election itself is fought uh, even for the for the vote from the voters perception or is it uh, is it something else like delhi has a city state election yeah. so i don't know why anybody ever wanted to replicate this model in bangalore or in right uh, you know so there's still something about the municipal council and its powers hmm. uh, that we need to look at as to why it's not so amenable to uh, a state government election hmm. so if if bangalore were to become a city state like delhi is then maybe we could think of replicating hmm. but this model i definitely feel is difficult to replicate it has a high intensity of volunteer mediation the volunteers are necessarily uh, youngsters who've been through college etc and have conscience etc now how do you replicate it to other cities which is not a city state and delhi is also a revenue surplus uh, yeah. city state so yeah. municipal corporations could have large budgets uh, how to reform the municipal corporation could be a different order challenge hmm. uh, 
could political resources be invested in a very large extent to do municipal council elections mm-hmm. now shiv sena for example has set that machinery where it's kind of doing the local council elections very well but also fights the state elections but it also is there in the konkan mm-hmm. belt you know so to say so i think the replication question has a lot of uh, you know st- gaps still uh, to that extent uh, the app has tried to go all india it's fizzled badly right. its best successes i think were in punjab yeah. where uh, it did quite well yeah. um having said that i don't think the party has a great presence there any longer yeah. and it realized that it's trying to go out the footprint uh, was not working very well so the app actually fits a national model very well whether app can fit a national model i don't know what is that national model that national model is that in state level politics people are looking for a bharose mand mukhyamantri who's going to deliver so i think most uh, states if you see political change has happened around the promises of development basket of goods have been different uh, and trust in a political leader who can ensure unmediated citizenship yeah. and up fits that national picture very well yeah. how do we scale it still remains an open question i don't know no. i don't think it's a magic no, I, I, and absolutely and i think lot of parties have also struggled with this one question that sort of um, i mean it has to do perhaps with that period between 2015 to 2017 18 was that that was also a time when the amadmi party uh, the delhi state government was in almost constant almost daily conflict with the central government you know at, at a point i don't think we went more than a week without hearing lg has stated this or the aap government uh, the state delhi state government has done this and it got to the court there was a judgment in 2018 which settled some issues but the th- strange thing for a lot of people and those of us who have seen it from the constitution and other perspective is that why is this a new phenomenon because i i would say that uh, the article 229a is itself defective in a lot of ways but how is it that say someone like sheila dikshit managed uh, i think one bjp government and also the congress government well we could say okay common parties whatever but this kind of constitute this kind of institutional conflict at this level of delhi state government and the central government uh was there something specific about this particular political arrangement which led to that and how is his delhi historically dealt with this kind of uh, mechanism so you know as far as mrs shila dikshit was concerned mm. uh you know she had her problems okay uh the trifurcation of the mcd, MCD for MCD. example was done because of this because uh-huh. it used to be there used to be this mayor kolarti mera and mm. stuff like that mm. uh on the top there was always an ajay makan and arvinder singh lovely mm-hmm. who were ready to box her yeah um she was implicitly a sick face but sajjan kumar always remained on the horizon mm. uh so she was a woman hemmed in not just by her opponents but also by her own party yeah. uh so you know she couldn't do much to change the structure of this power mm. uh but i think she had a vision to see through some of this okay mm. and i think the first tweaking that she did was and i think that's where state political leaders are successful mm. to be successful they do that mm. they pick up the low lying uh, fruits mm. on which the center doesn't feel that the state leader will take away my glory or anything mm. like that mm. uh, what was the low hanging fruit she picked up the restructuring of the delhi uh, vidyut board etc mm. now uh, wasn't the most perfect arrangement she made but what that did lead to was 
नंबर वन कंटिन्यूस सप्लाई ऑफ इलेक्ट्रिसिटी एट वॉट एवर रेट्स बिकेम अ रियालिटी इन डेली आई स्टिल रिमेम्बर द डे दैट माई हीरो होंडा लिटिल पावर जेन सेट became useless for me okay uh, but that started so at whatever rates you could get electricity yeah. that was an immense change and the restructuring also led to some headroom in the budget mm. at the moment there was headroom in the budget she had the capacity now of her own to do things that were welfare oriented mm. she was very uneasy with the fact that she realized that the number of poor people were quite a lot mm. but the official assessments were not there do you know India did not have and continues to not have an urban poverty survey the bpl category exists only for rural areas yeah. so she started asking look how do we count this how what do we do about this but while these problems were at the forefront for her and mr kejriwal was invited by her mm-hmm. government on to to serve to many of these committees mm-hmm. he used to then run an ngo called parivartan in yes. east delhi yes. from where sandeep dikshit sansila dikshit son was a member of parliament mm-hmm. uh so the fact is that sh- there was a program called the pension scheme hmm. national social assistance program hmm. what shila dikshit did, did was that the central component of this program she took she added money from her own budget hmm. and this became a 1000 rupee decent pension hmm. to be given to the poor right right now that became a huge cry that something is coming directly from that state yes. but problems remained hmm. because how to prove you are a poor to yes. prove you are a poor you went to a talati mm-hmm. talati had to give you a certificate talati could lock up the certificates how hmm. do you convince someone that my income is only this much hmm. then mlas were given a discretionary quota hmm. mlas were given a discretionary quota of 500 people to be proved to be poor so the thing was that while people on the one side felt they were getting something from the state mm. but on the other side they were being sent back to the discretionary power of talati or the mla mm-hmm. but some move was made mm. and that ensured her re-election okay. by the way okay and and she negotiated these troubled waters mm-hmm. with some reforms mm. now when the aap government comes in by which time the volcano was boiling mm. how do i prove that i am poor mm. how do i prove that i am below the poverty line how do i get a paper mm-hmm. how does the mla sign to my form saying oh he is a poor person mm-hmm. this was the noise below mm-hmm. and the fact was she could do almost nothing to the okay. water tanker mafias etc mm-hmm. who belong to a particular dominant social caste the mm-hmm. poor people said this is all the jat gujar combined that still mm-hmm. holds power mm-hmm. so that's the kind of troubled situation mm-hmm. and that's where the aam aadmi party comes in and says to help with it we'll go to the underclass directly mm. you deal with the centers of power we will go to the underclass directly so while the citizens of power remained in new delhi or in the delhi secretariat mm. the amadmi party had made inroads in the underclass yeah. and that led to a consolidation of its power mm. and i think after the mcd elections the amadmi party simply went back to its own simple script mm. this is where our people are this is where we can gain trust hmm. but i think what they've done to phenomenal levels hmm. is the fact that government schools hmm. are actually teaching yeah. nowhere yeah. in the world <laughs> have i seen an example <laughs> of a learning revolution okay yeah. yeah yeah and and that's when i say that we still want to learn in india what are the conditions in which people can force the state to see hmm. 
where the public interest lies. How do you align the two? Yeah. You know, that book that Sarayu is talking about, mm-hmm. Aligning Opportunities align, with Interests, yeah. 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 simply talks about this. That yeah. how do you align such that political incentives mm. and public interest yeah. come on the common track? Yeah. And I think that's what is yeah. uh, the immense possibility of Indian democracy. Mm. And elections in a city-state have proven mm. uh, that there is a small experiment mm. that most of us want to think, okay, how do I replicate? How do yeah. I scale? I think yeah. that's a natural question. I, and I was just coming to it in some senses, mm. right? Uh it, it, it is partly that, but also partly the way in which the narrative is framed in the context of this election. So those of us who like to watch more broadly elections in the context of India, it was very interesting that uh, the BJP in uh, Delhi framed the issue as mostly being communal in the sense that there was Shaheen Bagh, which became an issue. Uh, and a lot of the mobilization was on sec- on the secular communal binary in that sense. Whereas the AAP relentlessly kept it to... Um, Two seemingly issues of performance uh, in the, co- the context of schools, the Mohalla clinics are all issues that, uh, that you know, we who are very far away from Delhi have become familiar with. Could you help us unpack that and make sense of it a little bit more? Because even the way in which I have narrated, it seems to be a fairly simple uh, binary that seemed to play out. How did that, for example, in Sangam Vihar, how was it interpreted and more broadly in the context of Delhi? Because what explains the resonance of the app in the context of this narrative? And then because it is something that is predominant in the way uh, the narrative across the country is in uh, very many states, how can it be replicated? So so the app opened its innings talking about its schools, talking about uh, the fact that power bills had gone down. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, the power bills that went down were not simply a dole, uh, wrongly portrayed as a dole, really. It had uh, something for a large part. It had something, if you were even living anywhere, you Mm. could have a low bill, Mm. especially in non-peak consumption months. If you consumed less, you could be in that bracket. Uh, Fixed costs were going down. Fixed costs could go down even if you were in the uh, better, bigger colonies. But it, it, it kind of aligned itself with the asymmetry of people such that those at the bottom of the pyramid got the maximum benefit. Right. Yeah. Now, any social redistribution program mm. really does exactly this. Yes. It, it says, okay, I'm going to favor those who have more will be favored less, but those who will have less will be favored more. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a rightly designed <laughs> program. Mm. And I think the execution was very well. But what was really dramatic was that the Amadmi Party opened saying, okay, these are the things that we've done. And they kind of spoke about their work. Then they came up with their, uh, you know, guarantee card that we're going to do this. Um, uh, so they kind of slowly went on that pitch. Hmm. By about 20th January, hmm. we saw the opening of the other side's innings. Hmm. Uh, and 20th January was how many days? 10 days ahead yeah. of the elections. Hmm. And suddenly you saw these rallies where uh, ministers of the Indian Union, um, uh, for reasons of my own dignity, I don't want to take the names, uh, but it was shocking to me Mm. as somebody whose life uh, is dedicated uh, to thinking about the compacts of the constitution. You guys are legalists. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, for me, the compact that brings the A plus B plus C plus D mm. iterated to the imaginary, nth imaginary, and says we give up our powers and constitute. I think that enactment for me is a daily thinking about what it is. Uh, you know, the 
the the the backdrop to my thoughts twenty four seven are constantly this. So how is it that that compact, uh, which led to an oath by this union minister saying, "I'm going to protect this constitution," and he or she goes somewhere and says that let's identify the traitors, and the crowds, you know, lead the chorus or the chant. to uh, pick up arms mm. and to violate uh, the very provisions of the constitution on which i had seen this mm. uh, young gentleman take his oath just 6 months ago yeah. now his job should have been to say that look uh, for reasons that nobody else can give better peace and protection uh, don't take arms up mm. it's not a perfect arrangement but near perfect arrangement that the state will protect mm. the yeah. citizens will not take up arms yeah. that was the oath that this minister took however the minister led a crowd that said something exactly the opposite mm-hmm. now was this to be left as the individual stirrings of people who are deeply imbued with the philosophies that make the constitutions of the world that put us in societies you as people from bangalore mm-hmm. i as somebody who's a delhi person the purvanchali who's mm-hmm. imaginary completely yeah. we're all bound together by the making of this compact that this should have been violated yeah. at a time when popular sovereignty mm. was going home to home mm. the most sacrosanct moment that goes into the making of that compact mm. this was being violated yeah. and that left me with a lot of agony mm. however this was me mm. when i came back to sangam vihar and i asked mm. them there used to be a studied silence mm. so i could see mm. that the underclass had decided mm. that they are not going to let issues that are not correct or don't matter to them take away the primacy of issues that matter to them and i could very much see that discussions mm. on this episode or on shaheen bag mm. however much i tried to prod and ask people mm. were not responded to mm. especially by women respondents mm. and of course the children who would huddle together and talk to me about their schools would disappear mm. these matters were called political mm. so the point mm. is that people had made up their mind about how to look at it mm. but the narrative on the top especially in the last innings i would say yeah. leading up to the election mm. and if you open up newspapers between 28th january up until 8th yeah. of yeah. february you will find the sequence of what has happened yeah. or something that was loud in decibel mm. but not on the ground mm. so i think when you start thinking of elections only in terms of sensory perceptions mm. the utilitarian view to elections yeah. a pushpin is really good yeah. as poetry no yeah. so it's not about taste buds it's not yeah. about what you hear mm. but it's what about how you think yeah, yeah. I think the Bangalore woman who told me hmm. that why do you think we vote because we got a free this? Hmm. No, we vote hmm. because it's our country, Nimma Hakko. It's my right to vote. Yeah. So I think that was it. That hmm. we thought they're going to see this thing on the WhatsApp message and respond, hmm. or the high noise is going hmm. to hmm. entice them. Hmm. But they said, no, we are thinking about this. You know, yeah. why are you worried about this? Yeah. So I was deeply troubled, hmm. but they were not. They were yeah. confident of what they wanted. Yeah. On that note, yes. I think. Uh, 
we will have to wrap up this episode but we'd love to have you back uh, on this uh, on this podcast i think we'd love to go deeper into understanding your work in sangam vihar uh, some of the thoughts that you uh, have expressed today uh, particularly on the way in which broader narratives may not resonate uh, in that sense on the ground uh, or that there is a certain quiet confidence that voters have uh, when they go into the voting booth i think ending this episode on that thought is really something uh, that is fantastic yes. so thank you very much for joining us and and uh, listeners we'll be back next wednesday with another episode see you see you thank also you. thank you thank you thank you